All right, if you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Revelation chapter 13. I know for sure that six of you have Bibles uh, who are graduating, so you could be turning to Revelation 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you're kind of jealous of those graduates who receive Bible and you want a Bible, we have Bibles for you that you can pick up. They're in the back on the table. I think we have a couple over here on the side, but you're welcome to keep those. And uh, if you really want to, you can go get your name engraved on those as well. But we've been going through the book of Revelation as Jesus continues to reveal himself to us in the book of Revelation. And sometime when we come to Revelation, a lot of people think about the awful things that are going on. All the tribulation and all the trials and all the wrath and all those things that are going on. And certainly those things are talked about. And people think about Satan and they think about uh, the Antichrist. And they think about the mark of the beast and, and they think just about those things and they get scared. And certainly those things are talked about. That's not the point though. And certainly people think about what will happen at the end when there is a judgment and some are taken to everlasting life but some are cast into Everlasting uh, uh, darkness, total darkness. But the thing that we are concerned about, the point of Revelation, is Jesus Christ. And so today, as we go, we're going to get into, again, uh, the beast. We're going to get in, again, to the second beast. But the point isn't the first beast or the second beast. The point is Jesus. And the point is that he has complete authority and control over what's happening in the end times, and as we've talked about, I believe that we're heading into the end times as we see some of these pieces beginning to align uh, coming in towards the end. So uh, just to review quickly what happened at the beginning of chapter 13, we were introduced to the beast. This is not Satan, but rather it's the system, the kingdom of Satan that is now progressing upon the world and trapping everybody into following uh, the, uh, the, the system of Satan if they're not following Jesus. And so uh, as a result of this beast seemingly so, uh, so awesome, because people in the world don't look at a beast and say, well, that's a beast, I need to be scared of it. Satan's pretty good at crafting a, 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 a slogan, a campaign to get people to say, yeah, I'll vote for that beast. I'll go along with what he's saying because it doesn't look beastly to the world. It looks delicious. To the world, it looks pleasing. It looks sensual and like it's going to give you a good time. And so that's easy to get people in trap. Why, why would I go with God? It doesn't look like he wants a good time at all. I'd rather go along with the world because at least they're getting to play around, sleep around, eat around, drink around, everything around. So the beast comes in and does these things, and the world's like, who can stand against the beast? Let us worship it. And that's what we saw last time is that this system of Satan is now overtaking the world, and everybody's kind of lumping into following it. And so we pick it up in verse 5. It continues on and says this. And the beast was given a mouth uh, uttering haughty and blasphemous words and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Again, that's three and a half years as we've seen several times through the book of Revelation. Those three and a half years often signifying a time of tribulation and hard things coming on the world. But here the beast is given a mouth. It's uttering haughty, very prideful things, blasphemous things. Um, and it's allowed to exercise this for 42 months. It goes on and says in verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And so as this mouth is giving to the system, somehow the system is able to convey this message, the campaign slogan. And the slogans that go out from the system of Satan are this, 
that God is not really God. And in fact, you and you and you and all of humanity can raise themselves above God and compete with him. That is what blasphemy is. It's an absolutely utter pride in the heart of people. And in fact, that's how Satan fell. Satan being a cherub of God who was right around the throne room, he was one who was to be a servant of God. But in that moment, he said, I wish to take God's place. I want to rise above him. It was arrogance and it was blasphemy. And he was cast out of heaven. And ever since then, he's been on a, on a terrorism streak at war with Jesus and trying to snag you and I to go against Jesus as well. And his lie to you and his lie to the world, and it says that his system at some point will be given a mouth, and that'll be the Antichrist. We'll get to that more next week. But as this continues to go on and utter these things, the utterance is this. Hey, you, you don't need God. You can be your own God. Look at all the things that we have around us. Why do we have any need for God? We can just take care of ourselves. Now, this has been going on for a long, long time. It's just getting easier and easier to do it and more and more difficult to sense it because we're getting numb with all the things that we have around us. Whether it's the amount of food we just have in our pantry. Whether it's the way that we might not even have money, but we can take a card out and purchase things and just somehow pay it off later with a little bit of interest, but at least I got the thing. It's on sale. You know, we've got so much around us. The Lord says, because we're so rich, we're not even paying attention to the fact that we are saying to God, we don't need you anymore. Technology is going crazy. And in all these things, we think, well, we have a smartphone. We've outsmarted God. We've got all these things. And you might say, well, I'm not into technology. I bet you are. One of the early time things, if you go back in the scripture, it says that the people of that time got together and they had a new technology in their midst. It was this. It was the first time they'd ever figured out how to make bricks. They were taking clay and they were baking them and coming up with, they could make their own stone. And then they could put those stones on top of each other and glue them together with this stuff called bitumen. It was mortar. And so when they figured out this new technology, bricks and mortar, they began building this huge tower. And what they were saying was, we are building this tower up to the heaven. What they were saying is, we can raise up. We don't need God to raise us up. They were going to meet God halfway. And so together as society, they came up with this great plan with this new technology. We will build this tower, and we will raise up, and we will save, help save ourselves. We don't need God all the way. And it was blasphemy and arrogance. They never invited God to the planning meeting. And so when God looked down and saw what they were doing, he, he scattered them mixed up their language, and that was called the Tower of Babel. That was a new technology. Now, you might say, well, I don't use a smartphone. I don't use a computer. I don't email. But I guarantee you that brick house that you're in is not much different than the Tower of Babel because we sit there in our brick houses, and we're in comfort. And we say, because I've got everything that I need, I don't need God. You're in Babel. And there's a reason why the system of Satan throughout Scripture is also called Babylon. It's because we keep trying as the human race to go back to that place, congregating together or getting in our houses or getting in our tower and say, we don't need God. We'll just save ourselves. You might say, well, I don't have a brick house. 
I guarantee you, you got indoor plumbing. That's right. And that indoor plumbing is connected to a white throne that you sit on all the time. And you say, because I can do this, I got everything that I need. Until that moment when you call out to your loved one, would you bring me more toilet paper? And it's at those moments you still recognize that you need help. The Lord uses the easiest of things, even with all your technology, to keep showing you that you need help. And so he's given us a highlight here to say, hey, there's going to come a time when the whole system of the world is saying, we don't need God. It's not just going to happen in America, and it's not just going to be in Europe, and it's not just going to be over in Hong Kong and places that, that technology and the ways of the world and saying we don't need God will spread all over the world because Satan's going to make everybody believe it. And it's going to become more and more difficult for you and me as people who love Jesus to be aware that it's also creeping towards our heart. It's also desiring to steal us away towards something other than Jesus. And so all these things that look like, well, they're fancy. And it was cheap. There's nothing wrong if the Lord has given you a great house. And there's nothing wrong if the Lord's provided you a pantry of food. And there's nothing wrong if you have a toilet that's not running. It's actually a good working toilet. There's nothing wrong with those things. Until the moment that you love all of those things more than Jesus. And you come to that point of saying, I've got to have more. And I got to, 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 I got to. And you want everything else other than Jesus. Because what's going to happen is, the system of the world and the Antichrist as it leads in, it's going to say, well, you know what? Now that you love all those things, I'm not, I'm, we're not going to allow you to have any of those things unless you join our side. Later on next week, we'll talk about how there's the mark of the beast that no one can buy or sell or eat or anything unless they have that mark. There's going to come a time when people are going to say, you're not going to be able to buy toilet paper. You're not going to be able to buy Tootsie Rolls anymore. You're not going to be able to turn on your lights in your church anymore unless you come into line with what Satan is doing. And so this mouth, this antichrist, this system is barking out these blasphemous words, saying we don't need God. We'll be God for him. We'll just do it in his place. And throughout the world, this is happening. It's happening right in our own, quote-unquote, Christian nation where just this last week, Thousands and thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C. saying, we don't believe there is a God. We're atheists. And they held what was called a reason rally. We will just know ourselves to a better place. One of the people who was heading it up, he's a well-known magician named uh, uh, Penn Gillette of the magician's Penn and Teller. He's, he's written a book. And he's skeptical of religion, and I don't say that I blame him all that much. Because in all the religions, he says, they're all made up. You could take it all, and you could just trash all the, you could burn. If everybody got rid of religion, you could just get rid of it. And it'll come back different, because people just make it up. But with science and the things that you can know, that'll always be the same. So that atheists don't understand the fact that there was someone who made the laws of science. There was someone who created the things that we can touch and experience and, 
experiment with. We can run hypothesis and tests against them. There's a reason why food is delicious, because Jesus made it that way. There's a reason your body works the way it does, because Jesus made it that way. And if you took away all the religiousness in the world, there would still be a God who loves you and wished to reveal himself to you, and he would come back the same way as before. And so I don't say those things about Mr. Penn to come down on him. I say that to pray for him. I don't bring up the people in Washington, D.C. to say, how dare they? I say that to say they're lost. And I bet they represent a larger portion of our society than we would actually admit to. We need to pray for them. We also can't look up to Washington, D.C. and say, it's only them. You know how arrogant the church is? At least those who call themselves the church? We'll get into this later in Revelation where Jesus says, most who call themselves the church are just a prostitute. They're playing the game and they're living the lie. And when it comes down to it and there's a sword at their neck, they will choose to go along with the beast. But we in the church, how tied are we up with the world? Well, we love more of what's going on in the world than we love Jesus. How dare we point a finger at the atheists in Washington, D.C. When we ourselves stand before a holy God and he looks at us and says, you know what, Jason? You love an awful lot in this world more than you love me. But what he does with his people is says, now that I've revealed that to you, come away from it. Don't, it's just death in the end. Come away from it. Love me, love me, love me. And it's good for you to keep going towards Jesus and to keep loving God. Because here's what it says. Verse 7. Also, it was, this is the beast, but now has a voice. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwelled on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. See, that says that this Antichrist, we'll talk more about next week, but who is representing the beast, goes out and he pursues the church. That as a result of not going along with the system of the world, that you will be targeted. And you will be undergoing trials, you will be undergoing uh, persecutions. And if you don't go along, it says here that he will pursue, but also conquer. Now, this is also talked about way back in Daniel chapter 7. You say, wait a second, I thought Jesus won us the victory. I thought we were the ones who conquer and overcome. Let me read for you what it says out of Daniel chapter 7 that speaks this exact same thing concerning the Antichrist. It says, as I looked, this horn, which in Daniel was talking about this Antichrist, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. But then it says this, it has this tag that encourages us. It says this, until the ancient of days, which is another name for Jesus, he's the ancient of days, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. What Daniel says, and he gives a fuller picture, is that 
even though the Antichrist and even though the system of Satan might come and persecute you and even take away this living, breathing life that you have today, that that's not the end of your story. But that because the Ancient of Days has come and given his life for you and shed his blood and forgiven you, that you will be saved to an everlasting life and you will possess the kingdom of God. Who will not possess it? Anybody who's with Satan. Anybody who's with Satan. Satan instead has the end where he's taken and cast into a lake of fire. The Antichrist taken, destroyed, cast into a lake of fire. Those who bear the mark of the beast, that is, who have gone along with his system, they too are destroyed. And so I don't know about you, but I'm willing to give up a little bit of pleasure in this life and even this tenth of a body if it means that for eternity I can live with Jesus. You need to make that decision now. Are you more willing to love the comforts and the things of this world and the temporary and sacrifice your eternity than you are to say, you know what? This is temporary, and I'm going to live for Jesus, and it may cost me some pleasure, and it may cost me some friends, and it may cost me my life and my neck but I will gladly give it up for the ancient of days who saved me, and he's coming back, and I'm going to live in his kingdom. That's the choice you have to make. Finishing up in Revelation for today, it says this in verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. What in the world does that mean? It looks like a riddle. But let me tell you a, a riddle, a joke. I'm, I'm a big reader of Reader's Digest. Um, I'll, I won't tell you where I read it, but I, I read it often. And uh, while, I, while I was reading, this joke came out, and it was, it's, a, it's about a judge. And this guy came in, uh, this defendant, and, and he thought he was just going to be a little ornery with the judge. And so the judge said, uh, well, where do you live? And the defendant said, oh, here and there. And the guy says, and the judge says, well, what do you do for work? And the defendant says, oh, this and that. He's just playing with him, you know. And so the judge says to the bailiff, all right, take him away and throw him in jail. And the defendant suddenly is like, what? Well, how, how long am I, when am I going to get out? And the judge says, oh, sooner or later. <laughs> That's funny. You know, that's funny. It's funny because it makes the courtroom kind of goofy and funny. But what Revelation said is that the courtroom of Jesus isn't that way. You're not going to be able to do Jesus. He says, if you have decided and bound up your life with the world and with your sin, you're a captive, and to captivity you will go. And if you are one who because of your sin is going to be slain, then you will be slain. There was no opportunity when you stand before Jesus when all the accounts of your sin and your blasphemy against him will be there on your head. And in that moment, you can just pull out your wad of money and say, hey, for a 20, can I get in? Even for a back seat? Jesus says, no. You say, well, let me take out my checkbook. I got a bank account down there that's full of money. I'll even give you all the land. I'll give you my brick house. What do you want, Jesus, to get me into eternal life? And in that moment, Jesus says, because you're a captive, to captivity you go. And because you decided you did not want life, then you will be slain. There is no room for jokes in the judgment seat of God. 
But on that day when Jesus looks at you and says, you're a sinner who is unsaved, you will be doomed forever. Rather, it is your opportunity in this lifetime to say, then Lord, please save me. I need your grace. The world can't help me. I can't help me. Nothing's going to help me. My accolades, my graduation, nothing in the world is, is going to save me from my sin. And in this moment when you say, Lord, please save me, then the great thing is on that day, even though against you there is an account longer than Santa's list, the Lord could read off all your sin and because of what you've done, cast you into hell. But instead, if you've called upon him in this life to forgive you of your sin, then guess what? You have no record against you. That entire record that was against you, the scripture says, was taken and was nailed to the cross of Jesus, and he died in your place. He became the captive. He became the one that was slain. He was the sacrifice for your sin. And so on that day, in the judgment room of God, when he looks at you and you will be one who would just wilt under the holiness of God, he will look at you and say, come home. Come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. I paid for you. You don't have to come in through a back door. He opened the only door through Jesus Christ. And if today you say, that's me, I want I, Jesus he has saved me or I want to be saved, then plead his forgiveness and say, Jesus, I want to be with you because there's going to be a day when it's too late. There's going to be moments when you're not in this room and you'll say, yeah, but the world looks so good. Did you see how delicious the world is? Do you see how beautiful she was in the bikini? you see how good retirement looks? Oh, the fancy stuff of the world. Don't get caught up in that. Get caught up in Jesus. Because Jesus says it's going to get hard. And he says this to finish out. He says, here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Jesus wouldn't say that if it's not going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to see what's actually going on. It's going to be hard when you are undergoing temptation and the opportunity to wilt away and just go along with the world. It's going to be hard to endure. It's going to be hard to believe in Jesus. But he says, do it. Endure and have faith. And go to the end with Jesus because it's worth it. It is worth it. So, Father, we come to you today and we're thankful for your word. Because no one in this room and no one in the world knows exactly what's going to happen in the days to come. And yet we sense that we're getting close to the end because you told us it'll be like labor pains. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until that day when you come back. And so, Lord, as we sit here in this room, we don't, we don't pray and point fingers at the rest of the world and what they're doing. Lord, you've pointed a finger at us and told us that we're in need of repentance. To humbly come before you and, and not blaspheme, but rather say we are utterly dependent upon you for life. Only by your grace and your mercy, Jesus, can we be saved. And so, Lord, we pray that you would save us. Please forgive us. Please walk with us. Please, Lord, by your spirit and by your word, keep us from temptation, keep us from sin, keep us from doing the things that the world is doing, not so that we can be better than them, 
but so that we could be living and waiting for our King as we should. Lord, we pray that whether we're going through graduation or whether we're going through midlife crisis or whether we're going through retirement or whether we're going through raising babies, whatever it is, Lord, that you would be with us in this season. Help us to grow in the maturity of our faith so that when those days of trial come that we will not be shaken, that we will steadfast, be steadfast in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.